Welcome to The Growing Edge, a podcast to explore how life forever invites us to grow into new challenges, new adventures, and new opportunities. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer, and you're invited to join us here, growing toward the light, even in times of darkness. To the words and To us and how we live between the words. Well, Carrie, this podcast will go live on January 1st, 2019, so let me get a jump on things by saying Happy New Year to you and Robert. Well, Happy New Year to you too. Um, I think we have the perfect theme for our January podcast since January is named after the Roman god Janus. The God who looks both back and ahead, and the God of gateways and beginnings. January 1st is that day when one tick of the clock at midnight sets off a celebration of the fresh start that around most of the world we associate with the new year. And so here's our January Growing Edge question of the month. Where are you feeling called to begin again? Are there areas of your life and work where you're feeling stuck? where it would be life-giving for you and maybe others to gather up all you've learned and make a fresh start. I really like that question because uh, feeling stuck is uh, not an uncommon feeling in, in my life over the years. Feeling stuck in my work, feeling stuck in a relationship, uh, feeling stuck in politics and the world at large. The whole notion of beginning again, of, of making a fresh start, which makes all kinds of sense, it doesn't always come easily. I mean, maybe there's even something in me I've thought from time to time that likes being stuck, um, mm. sort of gives me an excuse not to do anything. But I think when I started reading about uh, what the Buddhists call beginner's mind um, yes. many, many years ago, um, I thought that's a really neat idea that when you're a kid and the world is fresh, that that beginner's mind comes very naturally to you. You're, you're approaching everything with beginner's mind, and you're receiving experience in a way that often leads to, to new ideas or new enthusiasms or, or just a sense of wonder and awe. And I'm not the first person to comment what a shame it is that through schooling and all kinds of other processes, as we grow up, we tend to we tend to lose that beginner's mind, that sense of wonder and awe, that being full of questions mm-hmm. that we're holding that don't need to be answered right away because they somehow draw us forward the way good questions always do. Yeah, I, I think it's a really powerful idea, this idea of beginning again and beginner's mind. You know, we're living in a culture of competency. You know, like at a certain point, you're supposed to be a grown up and um, or that your your granddaughter, Heather, calls it adulting. And at a certain point, you uh, are supposed to have it together in what you do and what you think. And and that's very limiting. It's a very limiting thing to always feel like you have to be competent, that you can't try something new and begin something, uh, begin mm-hmm. something again, um, playing an instrument. You know, no one learns to play an instrument without being a beginner and Mm -hmm. the time that it takes 
to do something brand new like that. Neither one of us wants to knock expertise or competency. I mean, if if I go in for heart surgery, I want someone who knows what he or she (laughs) is doing, right? Um, For sure. But at the same time, and, and, and medicine is a good example, if people hadn't come to that profession, experts hadn't come to that profession with beginner's mind, we'd still be using leeches, I think, you know, to cure people of various ills. Yeah. Um, rather than uh, advancing knowledge as we have. So mm-hmm. in every field of scholarship or expertise that I know anything about, it's been this combination of really knowing your stuff and the openness to practice beginner's mind that has drawn us forward, that has improved our knowledge, that has has taken us deeper into whatever task we're trying to to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the problem comes for many of us when we have this this notion that we're supposed to look expert with everything we do all the time to the people around us. Yes. You know, the more sort of other-oriented you are, the, the less you're paying attention to signals inside of yourself that, that say, you need to look deeper here. You know, you're, you've gotten off track. There's something new for you to discover about the world or about yourself or about how the two are related. When we're, when we're not listening to those signals because we're, we're constantly asking, am I looking cool? Am I looking expert? Am I looking yeah. competent yes. in the eyes yeah. of the people around me? I think that's where the big trap is. And, and when, you're, when you're feeling stuck and you can't even acknowledge it for fear of looking like a floundering amateur... <laughs> Um, then, then you're really, really stuck. I mean, there's sort of, there's sort of no way forward, is there? Well, I, I think of the, I guess, going back to the original Latin meaning of the word amateur, is to do something because you love it. It's mm-hmm. doing something for the love of it. And, mm-hmm. gosh, and what a honorable thing that is to do, to do something because you love it, or there's something about, about it that's calling you forward, um, mm-hmm. instead of looking at it as well, this is something that I don't know how to do. And so I, I'm, I'm concerned I'm going to look like I'm floundering, like you said. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I, I've always really liked that idea. Yeah, I, li- I like it too a lot. And it just occurred to me as, as I heard you talk, Carrie, that, you know, in, in what area do we do more floundering in human life than in love? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, in, there's that. In, 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 yeah, there is that. In what area do we look more foolish or you know, make more silly mistakes or, or mess up without meaning to mess up. And, and yet, how dead was, does one's soul have to be to say, well, I'm just going to stop risking love, right? Because yeah. it so often leads into difficult situations. Um, I think all of us know at some gut level that a life without love is just barely a life worth living. And yeah. to not be able to take the risk of love, of be, to not be able to take the risk of being an amateur, one, one who is pursuing this or that, out of, out of a pure passion to pursue it, um, is, is a sad situation in life. To live and to live a life with love, inviting love, um, to be in relationship with love. You know, you're inviting um, that at some point your heart will be broken. Mm-hmm. So there's this there's this really interesting um, tension <clears throat> that I hadn't thought about before we started talking about the subject between 
you know, hanging in there, not, not walking away from the challenge of love, for example, and at the same time to have the courage to begin again uh, in, in the whole variety of meanings that that, that, that term might mm-hmm. have. Yeah. So th- there's, there's, there's a place in life that's somewhere between, you know, hanging in there w- without being stuck hanging in there in a way that keeps you sort of pushing the edges and wondering where that next step of growth might be in a relationship or in the work you're doing or or whatever. I, I mean, I think of, I see this in your work as a singer-songwriter, and I, I feel it a lot in my work as a, as a writer. Um, I've written 10 books, and every one of them has been on a different subject. And every one of them has been on a subject that before I began writing about it, I didn't know anything about. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was I was just too dumb to know how dumb I was years ago. Uh, it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I was consciously, you know, beginning again or t- consciously taking that creative risk. It was just that something fascinated me, and something in me said, "Yeah, you can write about that, whatever," and just go ahead and do it. And there, I've often said that that for every page I've published, I've thrown away ten or twelve, literally. That's I, such I recently, thing. I recently published a you know a book that runs about 150 pages, and just two days ago I bagged up a five foot high stack of paper that sat next to my desk that were the rejects of the book. Wow! That, that was only 150 pages long. Wow! So. You make a lot of mistakes en route to wherever you're going. Yeah. But but there's some kind of, if you don't overthink it, if you don't paralyze yourself with overthinking, and, and if you don't paralyze yourself with all of these social norms around being an expert and getting the answer right and knowing exactly what you're doing, yeah. then it seems to me you're, you're on the way to liberating yourself to... To begin again, to take that that risk, to follow what you love into unknown territory. You know, I, th- I think about that with writing a song. You know, it's like there's a lot of songs on the way to other songs. It's like not not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I had to write this song to be able to get to that song. You know, it was the step I needed to take. And sometimes there's songs on the way to other songs. There's pages on the way to other pages. There's, mm-hmm. you know, we keep rebooting. Um, that's one of the things I, I, I usually say something really good happened to my songwriting when I gave myself permission to write the song I write today. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is I think sometimes when folks are beginning um, something new or beginning writing songs, they feel like they have to put all the knowledge that they've acquired in their entire life in that one song. And, um, and you know, and I did it too. It's, I think for, for ministers, they call it the first sermon, you know, when you're trying the collected mm-hmm. knowledge of everything they've ever read and ever lived. But uh, when I gave myself permission to write the song I write today, this is the song I write today, and it's with everything I know and love today. And then tomorrow mm-hmm. I'll write another one. There's something kind of freeing about that, that it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be my masterpiece. It doesn't have to. It just has to be the next step, uh, the song that I write today, the song I sing today. That's Mm -hmm. all it has to be. It doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be any more than that. There's something Mm -hmm. really freeing in that. Well, that's what I was thinking. I I was thinking of the word freedom, of of liberation. 
it, it's like th that's to to shake off the shackles that keep would keep a person from from being creative and it's it's such an interesting question to me as to how how one gets there to to that point of 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 claiming one's freedom and of feeling in a strange way the right to one's freedom rather than feeling that I have to continue to color within the lines to play by all the rules to to stick with what I'm sure about um, as I look around our world it, it just seems to me that we're in a lot of trouble because of of people clinging to beliefs that don't serve very well anymore to, anymore to stereotypes of of other people to ideas about what a good social order should look like that frees us in place and and that yeah. keep us from be, being on the growing edge of of our own collective experiment in being human and being in being a human community so it's it's there's a strong sense in which this this business of begin again applies not only to individual creative work but to what happens in relationships what happens in groups what happens in organizations what happens in in whole societies and and around mm -hmm. the world yeah you know i've done a lot of work in higher education over the years and i've been very fond of making the point when i've talked with university faculties that lectures were invented at a time in human history when books didn't exist. Um, yeah, but now it's, I think we have a lot of books. Why do we keep lecturing? Why is 95% of the pedagogy of the typical college or university lecture after lecture after lecture with students sitting in desks and taking notes when all those books that the lectures were meant to to replace or substitute for are readily available either on library shelves or or online huh. there are places where experiments are going on where students do the studying outside of class and then they come into class to do the experimentation the messing about in boats with ideas and and materials and and so forth but it's just interesting how whole institutions refuse to begin again you, you know the famous saying about creating change in a university is that trying to change a university is like trying to change a graveyard you don't get much help from the inhabitants <laughs> there, there, there's there's something a university president said that incidentally i didn't say it so it's not an insult to anybody it was said by it was said by an insider but there, there's there's this big question about why do we cling to this stuff? Not not just a few hours or a few days or a few weeks, but a few centuries after we well, really needed it. And it's interesting. <clears throat> I have, I have a, a song called "Writing a Better Story," and the idea behind the song is that you know there are stories we've been telling ourselves for a long time that were told to us, or we've been telling mm -hmm. ourselves. And at a certain point, we get to look at that story again and see if it serves. Does it serve me? Does it serve anyone around me? Is it true? And mm -hmm. it, it, are there true parts to it? And that I actually have the choice and I have the power to write a better story for myself. 
Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can think of that personally, but I can also think of that as a community that, you know, we have stories we've been telling ourselves and that may or may not be true or may or may not be helping us anymore. Like you were saying Mm -hmm. before, Mm -hmm. stories that have to do with, you know, old ideas we're hanging on to that that aren't life-giving anymore to us individually or as a community. So Yeah, I... I love that song, and I'd, I'd love it if, if you could sing sure. all of it if you want to. I mean, yeah. uh, and I've, I've often thought, it's interesting to hear you say it, because I've often thought that while that song has a personal implication to it about one's own story, uh, it, as you just said, it applies to a lot of other situations as well. You know, what if education could write a different story? about what it's up to. What if what if this country could write a different story about who we are and who we want to become? Um, and, and, and of course, that opens up the question, is it going to be a better story? And what does better mean? Well, I think it means more life-giving, more liberating, more evocative of the human spirit, more, more, more liberating of the better angels of our nature. And I, I think that that all of that is in your is in your more personal song, but it's it, it's in these other applications as well. So yeah, let me get let me get my guitar here um, out and so yeah, it's writing a better story. I'm writing a new ending. With a better storyline Turn the page and leave the blanks With a plot that's less defined And though I won't get back A day of stolen time I could go to bed at night With a better Stones, the 
ones our hearts have always known, the ones we finally call our own, down where the spirit meets the bone. Another story starts at the edges I can grow even when they're razor sharp I'm grateful for the words that I bookmarked before I really knew I'd need them for this part I'm writing a new ending with a better storyline turn the page and leave the blanks with a plot that's less defined and though I won't stolen time I could go to bed at night with a better storyline Hey, thanks for that, Carrie. I, I do love that song and I, I can't help but mention that that wonderful song is going to be part of your new album, which will oh. be out, I don't know, X number of months down the road. Do you know how many months? Uh, soon. And uh, it's, soon. It's, it's, uh, it'll be on an album called The Point of Arrival. So thanks, Parker. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I, love, I love those lines in there about when you lost your map and the breadcrumbs blew away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, yeah. They're so evocative of, of points in my life where I've absolutely felt that way, and and that's that's a kind of um, that's a moment in life that really calls you to begin again. But so often it's a it's a moment in life that first shuts you down with fear, right? So so walking through that fear, finding finding some way to go into your fear and through it is so important. Um, and really, you know, hard to talk about in terms of how you do it. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, in, in this particular song, there's, you know, different scenes I kind of pull out. You know, here's the place where I lost my map. Um, when the breadcrumbs blew away and I didn't know exactly how to go forward. Just the compass of my heart to find the path. You know, it's like, how do I step forward listening to my heart? You know, my heart as a compass, you know. That, that's how I would find true north. That's that's the way forward from this threshold. Um, and that idea of, of kind of coming back kind of uh, courageously and joyously in a way that, you know, but I'm writing mm. a new story. I'm writing a better ending. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm choosing yeah. that right now. And, you know, I, I think we all do that at certain points. Say, mm, yeah. you know, it's time for me to tell myself a different story than the one I've been telling or that someone else told me. And it, and it takes a long time to trust the compass called your heart, right? It, it just, it, I think it just takes a lot of experience and, and knowing that sometimes you don't read the compass right and you run into a wall or you mm. go over a cliff or yeah. whatever it may be. And, and yet, for me, a big realization that has helped me get more comfortable with beginning again has been the, the realization, especially as I've you know, gotten closer and closer to age 80, uh, been the realization that I'm, I've always been beginning again. Yes. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not like it's on the calendar, begin again. 
it it sort of happens every moment of every day and and every morning when I get up. Um, if if I'm open to the experience of that moment, if I'm open to the the claims that that moment is making on my life, if if I'm open to what other people are saying uh, to me about their struggles or my struggles, if I if I'm open to the imperatives of my own soul, I'm. I'm forever beginning again. And I don't know, somewhere between age 60 and age 80, you know, I wish I could have gotten there earlier, but mm. somewhere between age 60 and age 80, I just got comfortable with the notion that life is constantly rebooting and, and that that's wonderful. <laughs> that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a truly um, life-saving thing Yeah. that, I don't have to be mired in what was, but can always pull my feet out of the muck and, and must pull my feet out of the muck and, and take that next step. You know, as you know, I've been greatly, I'm greatly inspired by Wendell Berry. Um, a lot of people are. And he, he wrote a wonderful, wonderful poem that I think about a lot in relation to Beginning again, it's a poem called "To Hayden Carruth." Oh, the Hayden poet. Carruth was was a great poet. Lived up in a town called Munsville, New York, which actually figures into this poem. And he, uh, I think, Hayden Carruth died in his mid eighties. Um, and at some point in, in his early eighties, um, Hayden Carruth's early eighties. Wendell Berry wrote this poem for him about a new book of poetry he had just published. Let me just read it, and uh, we can play with it for a few minutes. So, To Hayden Carruth by Wendell Berry. Dear Hayden, when I read your book, I was aching in head, back, heart, and mind, and aching with your aches added to my own. And yet for joy I read on without stopping, made eager by your true mastery, wit, sorrow, and joy, each made true by the others. My reading done, I swear I am feeling better. Here in Port Royal, I take off my hat to you up there in Munsville, in your great dignity of being necessary. I swear it appears to me you're one of the rare fellows who may finally amount to something. What shall I say? What shall I say? I greet you at the beginning of a great career? No, I greet you at the beginning, for we are either beginning or we are dead. And let us have no careers, lest one day we be found dead in them. Mm. I greet you at the beginning that you have made authentically in your art again and again. I just love that poem. Um, it just, it kind of reaffirms everything in me that wants to wake up each morning thinking, you know, maybe I'll be one of the rare fellows who finally amount to something. (laughs) Maybe I'm not dead in my career because I don't really have one. (laughs) Or if I do, I can't explain it to anybody. Um, maybe, maybe in fact, this mix of, mastery, wit, sorrow, and joy. Yes. Not so sure about the mastery, but laughter, sorrow, and joy, I'm sure about that. Mm-hmm. Each made true by the others, as the poem says, will carry me through. Yes. 
um, I, I, I just love this, this the, the dynamism in that poem written to a guy in his early 80s who's a revered and well-established poet and here another revered and well-established poet is is saying you may finally amount to something and here you because here you have begun again yeah that at the at the beginning of a, of a of a lovely career and or the beginning of a lovely poem and i i really i really appreciate that you know this idea you know it has to do with something with generativity that you talk about that what will I give myself to today? Not not what will I hold on to, but what will I give myself to today with all my heart? And how do I begin again with this poem or this day or this conversation? Every morning we get up and we can choose to be generative or we can choose to stagnate. It's one of those, those questions. And I, I love the poem because really? he says, yes. To generativity, he says yes to beginning again. Mm-hmm. Um, always, always, always. Yeah, yeah. And and as we've often talked about, part of the meaning of that word, that wonderful word, generativity, involves people my age um, turning to the younger generation, turn, turning around and wanting to learn. Yeah, from definitely. the generation coming up behind them. Uh, for me, that's that's become over the last twenty years a very important way of beginning again. Is is to say to say to younger people, you know, you're you're standing in a place where you can see a horizon that I can't see, mm-hmm. but the same horizon is coming at me even though I can't see it yet. So please help me understand what's coming. What, what's the new music? What are the new lyrics? What's the new dance? All of that understood metaphorically mm-hmm. as well as as literally, yes, um, and and I need your eyes and ears to um, you know to locate myself in a world that's changing in ways that are are unrecognizable to a lot of people in my generation. But they don't need to. It doesn't need to be unrecognizable. And you no. can you can move with the spirit of the times by simply asking folks who are more in tune with the spirit of the times. Plus up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) what's happening? I I remember seeing this conversation between you and a a wonderful young writer, uh, Courtney Martin, and you were having that conversation. And and you said to her, you know, it was like a dinner, and I felt like a fly on the wall because you guys were in conversation. And and I heard this this off to the side, and you know, you were saying to Courtney, I you're standing at a place where you can see farther. Your horizon line is farther than mine, so I need for you to tell me what you see. And she, you know, she didn't kind of skip a beat, and she said, Ah, oh, but Parker, I, I need for you to tell me about all the horizons you've ever known. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, and that what you're seeing from where you're at with that information. So there was this wonderful moment of time expanding in all directions, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, between, mm-hmm. between the two of you and this appreciation for, um, all the horizon lines and the ones that are coming. Yeah. So it was, it, I just remember kind of feeling that expansion of time and feeling like I needed to go get a notebook really quick and write that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember that night. That was a, I mean, Courtney's always been a wonderful conversation partner with me, half, half my age, wonderful writer of books, 
and uh, social commentator. And it, it happened in a Thai restaurant, right? I think it happened over Pod Thai. Something so, like that. You, know, you, d- you never know when, it, when life is going to take you by surprise and you'll have an opportunity to, to begin again. And I, uh, we had a wonderful um, conversation last, week, uh, last month with, with uh, Naomi Shiabnai, and she was talking about catching those moments, being open to the hum of those moments, which I've, I've been thinking about ever since that podcast. Um, but yeah, there was a hum in that moment. It, you know, one of the things you talk about, I'm shifting gears just a little bit, but one of the things, you know, often in your writing and in my writing, we often tap into is the seasons, the, uh, the natural world and how the natural world can be a really wonderful guide when we're talking about things that can sound a little abstract, like, you know, beginning again, you know, rebooting. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about that where uh, beginning of January, the time of year when things are resting beneath the ground, the time when things look frozen, things that can even look dead at this point in the natural world, but that every spring without fail, there's not been a spring yet that uh, what's been resting beneath the ground, gathering all that energy, comes back and comes back. Uh, sometimes, you know, we're surprised by it, like all of a sudden, here it is, there it is. We're beginning again, but it's been coming. It's been coming for a long time. Right, but, right, but, exactly. But, but there it is. The wisdom of the seasons, the, the promise that I can trust this idea of the cycles of things and that when I begin again, it's part of a larger cycle like that. I love looking at the natural world to to frame this idea of cycles and beginning again. Yeah, well, I do too, and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. I mean, it it it, it involves a flashback for me to when we started the Center for Courage and Renewal back in the early '90s, and we were looking for inner life metaphors that would that would build bridges rather than walls in a secular world, you know, especially in in public education. Um, where people are rightly concerned about what that spiritual talk might look like. And we came upon the, the cycle of the seasons as a way to offer up the inner life issues that we wanted people to deal with in a seasonal series of retreats um, over two years, the four seasons experienced twice in terms of the inner life. And I, I just have a vivid memory of, of of realizing, oh, we're all embedded in the cycles of nature, mm-hmm. and yeah. we, we we follow those cycles and patterns um, instinctively. Um, this is you don't have to sell this; it just happens. So, so we in the fall we started talking about how all the falling that's going on out there is is the the planting of seeds mm-hmm. for a season of new growth, anticipating. That, that begin again spring that you were just talking about. And so the, the inner life question becomes what seed was planted when you were born? You know, what potentialities were you born with? Um, what, what was meant to emerge on the face of the earth? Because you got planted in the earth as, as a seed, this sort of seed of true self, as Thomas Merton might call it. So that was the kind of fall question that we worked with. And then in the winter, you look out and it looks like all of that seeding is dead and gone, right? 
the ground is hard and frozen, and often in the part of the world where I live, in Madison, Wisconsin, it's snow-covered. And it's hard to imagine that there's any life under there, and yet we all know that buried underground is life awaiting a season of rebirth. So there's always these, these fallow times in the life journey, these, these times when rest is exactly what we need, when darkness is exactly what we need, when we need to lie low for a while to kind of gather our energy for beginning again, for new growth. In the spring, as you were saying, Carrie, it's, it's a season of, of rebirth. It's a season when, with the first crocus that pokes up through the snow, we, we realize, oh, it's happening again, this miracle, this, this paradox that out of what looks to be dead and gone comes new life. And there's a million parallels to that in our real life experience. Um, including political struggles, which feel very deadly, but out of which can come new life. Yes. Uh -huh. If we know how to hold them in a, in a life-giving way, and personal struggles as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and so spring is that season we used to talk about, the flowering of paradox. And then summer, which is a, a season we all love, the metaphor there for me is a really, really important one, especially at my age. Summer is the, is the time of full flowering, of full growth. You know, the fields around where I live are full of corns and beans and all kinds of growing things. And at the end of summer comes the harvest. So the, the question in that summertime of life, which then moves again toward yet another fall, is this harvest that I've been growing in my life, whom is it meant to feed? Ah. And that that's that outreaching question of, yeah. so I've, you know, I've been planted. I've had my time underground. Mm -hmm. I, I flowered again in, in the spring. Thank the powers that be. And now there's a harvest available. Who's it for? What, whom am I meant to feed spiritually, intellectually, materially, relationally, however, however I understand that task. So yeah. often in my life, that's what motivates beginning again. And I, I love that, that take on it. You know, sometimes we think of harvest as what we're bringing into ourselves, but I love that take on it that what was I planted for? All of this growing, all of this, who am I harvesting for? and yeah. uh, for myself and beyond myself it's such a it's such a great question it's such a great question you know and every time we start again every time those seeds get planted and we start again who are we growing and who are we, what are we harvesting and for whom yeah for me that's it's been such a life-giving question as i struggle to write another book which is hard work for me very hard work for me but if i can stay focused on whom am I meant to feed with this book? Mm -hmm. And what's the hunger that I'm trying to meet? And you do the same thing with your music. And, and good parents do the same thing with their parenting. And good neighbors do the same thing with their neighboring. And good citizens do the same thing with their civic involvement. You know, what, what am I, whom am I meant to feed here? What hunger am, am I meant to meet or satisfy in, in this very hungry world in which I live. I'm going to tell one more story because before we start drawing to a close about 
the Center for Courage and Renewal, because it, it just came back to me with, with some force. And when a story comes back to a person as old as I am, you just can't stop it from being told. <laughs> it's just going to it's just gonna happen. Um, so I just flashed back to a memory of our first six or seven facilitators. We, we now have over 300 who are going to go out and take these seasonal metaphors to K through 12 teachers mm-hmm. who are so hungry for meaning and sustenance and who deserve it so richly. Yes. Culture heroes for both you and me. And I remember when we finished about three days of working with what a program built around these metaphors might look like, and they were about to go back to their various parts of the country and try to recruit groups and try to create retreats around these ideas. There was this silence for a while, and I waited, and then came the question, so Parker, what what are you going to say if we come back here three months from now and say it didn't work? And I just remember instinctively saying, I'm going to ask you, what do you want to do next? Yeah. What do you want to do next? Yes. I think that if we could approach our kids that way, if we could approach our students that way, if we could approach each other that way more often, we'd generate so much new life. We'd encourage each other to begin again. Okay, so it didn't work. What are you going to do next? Because there's always a next. There's always a next. And I think that's the spirit of the growing edge. And it's the spirit of beginning again in January of 2019. Yeah. I I think about uh, January, beginning of January, January 1, you know, the solstice, the winter solstice happens on December the 21st. It's the, it's the, the darkest night of the year that we have the least amount of light in the Northern Hemisphere than we will have the rest of the year. And um, it's, it's the darkest day of the year. And then January 1st, it gets um, more and more light. We see more and more light that something is growing and changing and getting more light. But there are like 10 days that it's about the same. You know, that's kind of dark for a little while. But when this podcast comes out, we will be moving toward the light. And Mm -hmm. that's a pretty wonderful thing, that that idea of beginning again, of regeneration. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It it actually does start today. You know, it does start Mm -hmm. in January. And it, it does happen all through the year, too, just on a metaphorical way. I think you just I think you just gave us a lovely list of your takeaways from this. Is there more you'd want to add to the takeaways before we close out? Uh, I would say from this podcast and our conversation today, just the importance of uh, of living into you know the next threshold that sometimes it feels risky and scary. Um, if it feels risky, I generally think I'm probably on the right track. Mm, Hmm, this is a little risky a little uncomfortable i'm probably on the right track you know but that there's a fatefulness to it that there's a even when it feels a bit disordered there is an order to it that we that the seeds get planted that there are fallow times that there's times of growth and then there's times of harvest i mean that even when it feels a bit disordered there is a 
something trustworthy and faithful in, in the natural world that keeps reminding me, no, this is how it works. And it'll keep working this way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to name one takeaway before we close out, um, which really came to me very powerfully in the middle of our conversation. And that's this. The next time I lose my map or the breadcrumbs grow, blow away, I'm not going to fall into despair. I'm going to say, there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just need to find there's it. There's always a song in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll put your new album on and I'll take heart from it. Oh, well, so, thank you so much. Again, Carrie, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and to everyone listening. And may you all begin again and again. Amen. You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our February Question of the Month and Conversation. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. And we have a favor to ask you. If you like today's program, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and to bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard in today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to our dear friend Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And with wild appreciation for Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and all the horizons she can see. <laughs>